0: Last week I taught in part John six, sixty-seven through sixty-nine, and that was all by way of the doctrine of the, the apostle Peter. We didn't get through that entire doctrine, but uh, we'll proceed with it after a brief review today. I want to continue that study, but first, if you will, let's use First John one nine, as may or may not be necessary. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and to study your word. I would ask that you would guide and direct us for I ask these things in Jesus name. Amen. All right, first a brief brief review, and then we'll pick up with new material at point 4 on page 5 of our lesson plan. So here we go. I'm going to read John 6, 67, 68, and 69 from the New International Version. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Alright, by way of review, in general, <clears throat> excuse me, there are two returns from the dead. The two are resuscitation and resurrection. Resuscitation as used in this doctrine is a coming back from the dead to ultimately participate in either the first or second resurrections. Two, two examples of resuscitation are Paul at Lister, while on his first missionary journey, we studied that in Acts 14, 19 through 20, and compared it with 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 5. All right, Jesus comes to the aid of the two sisters of Lazarus. Another example of resuscitation found in John 11, 32 through verse 45, which we uh, studied in part the resurrection as it relates to Christ and his followers is that point in time where a new body is received and death is no more. Such being the case of Paul, of course, and Lazarus that we noted. Now there are four such resurrections in this classification, and these four make up what is known as the first resurrection. The resurrection of unbelievers is called the second resurrection, which, as you know, will take place at the great white throne after the destruction of planet Earth, which followed the uh, millennium, or will follow the millennium. All right, the four resurrections for the believer are Christ on the first Easter, believers at the rapture, Old Testament saints and tribulation martyrs at the second advent and millennial saints at the end of the 1000 year reign of Christ called the millennium. The resurrection as it relates to the unbeliever occurs at the great white throne where unbelievers are resurrected to receive a body capable of everlasting punishment in a place designed for the devil and his demons. The resurrection is one of the very basic doctrines of Christianity and must be understood for spiritual growth. Hebrews 6, verses 1 and 2. The importance of the resurrection is emphasized by Paul in his first letter to Corinth. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 17. The resurrection is part of the strategic victory in the angelic conflict. 1 Corinthians 15 20 through 25. The resurrection is a direct result of perfect justification. Romans 4, verse 25. Alright, the life of Peter the Apostle. Continuing a review. Peter was one of the earliest and most prominent disciples of Jesus. Several names are given him. The Hebrew name Simeon, the Greek name Simon, the Aramaic name Cephas, and its Greek counterpart, Peter. Andrew brought Peter to see Jesus. It has often been called Operation Andrew. John one forty two. Now let's look at Peter, a chip off the rock. Cephas is an Aramaic name used to designate Peter as a disciple of Christ. Although Cephas or Cephas soon gave way to Peter. As an apostle and leader of the early church, we find Petros is used in lieu of Kepos. Both Kepos and Petros mean a small rock chipped off a much larger rock, the larger rock being referred to as Petra, P-E-T-R-A. Peter is a translation from the Greek word Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S, meaning a piece of a rock chipped from a larger rock a name given by Peter by the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 16:18 and I shall read and I say unto thee thou art Peter petros and upon this rock petra I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it Matthew 16:18 or in that verse it's an obvious play on the words Peter, Petra, so a proper name denoting a piece of a rock, and then rock, Petra, which is a rocky, large mass. The spiritual body, the church, mentioned here for the first time, is built upon uh, the divinely revealed fact about Christ as confessed by Peter. And of course, Christ built his church, on the statement of faith made by Peter. All right, now we covered that in significant detail, didn't we, last week. Peter's original home was Bethsaida, which, as we have seen on a map several times, uh, it was a fishing village on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. John 1, verse 44 it was also near Capernaum, somewhere on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, that Andrew and Peter first met. Excuse me, first met the Lord. Matthew four eighteen through nineteen. Peter and Andrew were partners in the fishing business with Zebedee and his sons James and John. Compare Mark one sixteen through eighteen with Luke five four through eleven. In all probability, they returned to their fishing for a brief time, although the Gospels do not state so directly. Now let's look at Peter's life as a disciple. Jesus' education of Peter is illustrated by a number of episodes. Jesus began to teach Peter a new mode of life. In response to Peter's question concerning the payment of the temple tax, Jesus assured him that the true Israelites should be free from taxation and then supplied enough money to pay for himself and for Peter also. An interesting story, Matthew 19, 21, and 22. Peter objecting to the washing of his feet. But when Jesus told him it was necessary, the... Uh, have him wash his feet as a condition of fellowship, Peter revealed his real attitude by asking for a bath. John 13, 5-10. Nipto in these passages refers to washing of hands and feet, and Luo refers to a complete bath of the body. Nipto refers to rebound, and Luo refers to a salvation faith. For example, John thirteen six through 10 And we've certainly studied that. Alright, Peter was one of the three chosen to watch with Jesus in Gethsemane, but fell asleep from weariness and sorrow. Matthew 26, 37 through 40. When the arresting party came, Peter attempted to defend Jesus uh, with a weapon and was sternly rebuked. Peter then fled from the garden with the other disciples. John 18, 10, and eleven, Peter, with John, appeared at the house of the high priest after following the arresting party at a discreet distance. Alarmed by the latent hostility around him, three times he vigorously denied any connection with Jesus. This was a fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy of the three denials before the rooster would crow twice. Mark 14, 66-72 through 72. When the disciples returned to Galilee, Peter proposed that they resume their trade of fishing. The Lord rebuked Peter and reminded them they were to be fishers of men and not fish. All right, Peter in Jerusalem. After the ascension of Jesus, the disciples were gathered in a prayer room for prayer, awaiting the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter in error proposed proposed that one be chosen to take the place of Judas so that the apostle might be uh, that is the apostolate, the apostolate might be complete, Acts 1:15 through 23. All right at the first New Testament day of Pentecost, Peter preached the initial message to the crowd that gathered declaring that they must repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Approximately 3,000 were converted, says Acts 2, 37-43. Peter in Acts 2, 14-21 preached in an attempt to explain the phenomena of tongues by quoting Joel. His explanation was problematic. Merrill F. Unger, in his book entitled Tongues, has written, and I shall quote, Joel's prophecy was to show his multilingual Jewish listeners gathered from all parts of the Roman Empire uh, to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. That strange exhibition of languages by these simple Galilean followers of Jesus was not an instance of drunkenness or emotional excess. On the contrary, it was something, something paralleled by their own prophetic scriptures. Uh, closely akin to similar spiritual phenomena predicted to be visited upon uh, their own race previous to the establishment and kingdom blessings. Alright, Peter's quotation evidently, purposefully goes beyond impossible fulfillment at Pentecost by including events in the still future day of the Lord preceding kingdom establishment. The reference is solely in an illustrative sense to Jewish listeners at Pentecost. All right, so much for that quote from Merrill F. Unger, and I would certainly recommend that to you. It is an excellent book explaining the phenomena of tongues and their meaning. All right, it is Unger's opinion that the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy in total is still future, a series of events to occur in the tribulation, ushering in Christ's millennial blessings. Now John Walbert in his book, The Holy Spirit, has written, and again I'm going to quote, The prophecy of Joel, a notable prophecy of the Old Testament, is quoted in the New Testament by Peter. The prophecy is first of all related to the present age and the phenomena of the day of Pentecost. A careful study of the passage will reveal that this is only a partial fulfillment. Continuing now, the prophecy of Joel will have its ultimate fulfillment in the consummation of God's purpose for Israel. The wonders in heaven and in earth obviously did not occur on the day of Pentecost or any succeeding day of the Christian dispensation. It remains for the tribulation period as described in the book of the Revelation. During the early years of the church in Jerusalem, Peter was the acknowledged leader. He performed notable miracles, says Acts 3, 1-7. Uh, defended the cause before the Sanhedrin, Acts 4, 8-12. And disciplined offenders like Ananias and Sapphira, Acts 5, 3-8. All right. Peter's ministry outside Jerusalem. When persecution against the church broke out from the controversy over Stephen, Peter extended his ministry to two new fields. Summoned with John to Samaria, where Philip had gathered a large number of new converts, Uh, was just such an example. Peter and John were sent to Samaria to assist in Philip's ministry. There Peter encountered a misguided believer who wanted to buy the works of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8 verses 14 through 24, and I'll read. Now when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid, lay their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And verse 18 says, And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. So let's see what a believer named Simon uh, wanted, which of course was out of the line, and that we shall note in Acts 8:19, reading through verse 24. So Simon saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray. Pray that God, if perhaps... Uh, will forgive thee the thoughts of thine heart. All right, for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of these things which he has spoken come upon me. All right, Peter ministered in the coastal cities of Lydda and Joppa, where he healed Aeneas and resuscitated Darkus, and preached through the maritime plain of Sharon, or Sharon, as we would say, Acts nine thirty-two 32 through 40. And I'll read. And it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. And down he, there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole, arise and make thy bed. And he arose immediately, and all that dwelt at Lydda, <coughs> excuse me, in Sharon, saw him and turned to the Lord. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Darkus. The woman was full of good works and alms aid which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and dying. Whom when they washed, they laid her in an upper room that was preparing her for burial. And for as much as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, And all the widows stood by him, weeping and showing the coats and garments which darkest made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed. And turning him to the body said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Uh, Ending quote quote from Acts 9. In response to a vision given to him while staying at Joppa, he initiated the evangelization of the Gentiles by preaching in the house of Cornelius, a Roman centurion stationed at Caesarea, Acts 10, 1-45, and I'll read. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. A devout man, one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people. And prayed to God always. He saw in a vision. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. Now, while Peter, beginning now in verse 17, Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, Peter had a a vision, as you recall. Behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And he called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, was lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision he had had, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. And you'll recall the vision he had was of the seed in heaven and he was to go and eat. And The Spirit said that he resisted and Peter said, Go ahead and all things are clean. Uh, again, indicating you are to take the gospel to the Gentile. Now let's see in Acts, beginning in verse 23. Then called he them in and lodged them. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them, the men that came, to invite him to go uh, uh, to Joppa. And certain men from Joppa accompanied him, and as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, Get up, he said, Stand up. I myself also am a man just like you. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were gathered there, and he said unto them, You know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come into one of another nation. But God had showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Again, a reference to his vision. Now let's go to verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Now verse 37. That word I say, ye know which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. And then going down to 39. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed himself openly to many. All right, to him, verse 43 and 44 now, to him give all the prophets witness, that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all them which heard the word, and they spoke in tongues. And Peter was convinced that what he had done was the thing that God would have for him to do. Now he will later uh, find trouble in front of many of those certain people in charge at Jerusalem who will criticize him for doing what he did. So we have chapters 10, and then we'll see in chapter 11 how he has to defend himself. All right, let's see what we've got here. Uh, for entering a Gentile's house, he was criticized by the Jewish party in the church and was obliged to justify his conduct, his conduct when he returned to Jerusalem. Acts 11, reading through verse 18, and I'm going to read again. This is the, when you think about Acts 10, he saw what happened when he gave them the gospel out the tongues took place, and uh, he believed, well, I have to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Then in chapter 11, he has to justify what he did before the hierarchy and uh, of course, Jerusalem. All right, I'm going to begin now. And the apostles and brethren that were at Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised and did eat with them. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, saying, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. For as much sin as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Now let's uh, take a look at Peter's Antioch ministry. We're talking about Antioch, Syria now. The Council of Jerusalem marked the midpoint of the first century. Peter visited Antioch with Paul, and during that visit, a severe disagreement developed. Now Antioch was the first place where believers were called Christians, and uh, there were a huge number of very positive believers there in Antioch and a lot of teaching was going on, but we're going to see a, a several contra-events, uh, even amongst the apostles. Let's read on now. Later, Peter went with Paul in his entourage to confront James over the question of legalism versus grace. His earlier disagreement with Paul was resolved, for he was stood with Paul at the council. And later in his second epistle, spoke favorably of Paul, as our beloved brother. Now, this of course is when we studied this when we studied the book of Galatians, but uh, we're just getting a brief review here over the the uh, problem that occurred with certain uh, members of the Jerusalem Christian Church under the leadership of, of James. Which uh, we'll, we'll see more of that. James had nothing to do with telling them to go; they just went up there and started causing trouble specifically say you had to keep the law uh, for salvation and you had to uh, uh, keep the law for spiritual growth. And uh, there was much controversy there because Paul had been teaching them, no you don't. For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yeah, not I, but Christ lived within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then he goes on to, speak to the fact that, uh, uh, you know, if you could get saved any other way than faith alone and Christ alone, then Christ could have just as well stay at home. And we'll get there eventually. All right, let's take a look at... Uh, well, let's go ahead with point two again since I intervened with a little uh, message of my own. Later, Peter went with Paul in his honorized to confront James over the question of legalism versus grace. His earlier disagreement with Paul was resolved, for he stood with Paul at the council, and later in his second epistle spoke favorably of Paul as our beloved brother. Alright, let's begin with, uh, well we did study the book of Galatians, let's go ahead and begin with Galatians chapter 2, we're going to begin with verse 11, and uh, we're going to read through verse 21, and I'll probably quote verse 22 also. So when Peter came to Antioch, I'm reading now from Galatians 2.11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, as the half-brother of Jesus, who was the leader of the Judeo-Christian churches in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. When certain came from James, a man who used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, He began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Now this is Peter who's doing this with several others. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas and Paul, you remember, were the men who went on the first missionary journey. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, This is Paul speaking. You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I build what I destroyed I prove that I am a lawbreaker. In other words, the KJV says, For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So Paul stood strong and a rebuke, Peter, of course, and others who uh, believed, what those who came from this big city church in Jerusalem uh, had said rather than what Paul was teaching. So we have to resolve the issue, said Paul. So he said, let's go down there and talk to James and see where did these guys get the idea you could be saved by keeping the law. I think the best way to do that is go ahead and read Acts 15, beginning in verse 1. And we're going to read... Significant amount of scripture here as we read through chapter 15 verse 8. Here we go. So men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question, the church sent them on their way. As they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, as they went south, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. The news made all the brothers very glad. So, they did not uh, they did not stop their ministry of evangelization as they went. So, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done for them or with them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised, and they're required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, good old Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know this some time ago. God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and that they believe. God knows the heart. Show that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. A reference to his trip from Joppa to Cornelius' house. Now let's talk a little bit about Peter's last days. Peter appears as a leader of the Jewish believers who have moved to Jerusalem, or excuse me, moved into Asia, which is basically Turkey. The books of first and second Peter are examples, second Peter three, fifteen and sixteen, and I'll read and account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also according to the wisdom given unto him has written unto you as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. So he's talking about the fact that Paul had sent the letter to those in Turkey, and uh, some of the things he said were difficult, but then again, There were people who were negative to the Word, thus they did not understand, because all speaking, all teaching, is a, if it uh, does its job, is a product of God the Holy Spirit. He does the teaching. For example, I'm a a teacher of the Bible, but uh, I'm really not. I'm just a presenter, and God the Holy Spirit is the teacher. Now let's talk more about Peter's last days. Peter was married, and in his later ministry... His wife traveled with him Mark 130 and 1 Corinthians 9:5 but Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever and anon they tell him of her now then just to drop down to 1 Corinthians 9:5 Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife as well as other apostles and as the brethren of the Lord and Sepli? All right, that's Paul speaking, of course, about the fact that Peter had a wife. And Cephas, or Cephas. All right, between A.D. 50 and the close of the New Testament period, little is said about Peter. Paul alludes to Peter's travels and the fact that a group in the Corinthian church said, I am of Cephas, 1 Corinthians 1.12. This certainly indicates that he may have been known personally there. Let me read you a few scriptures here, first nine, six, and seven of First Corinthians. Or I only and Barnabas have not we power to forbear working. Who goeth a, a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof, or who feedeth the flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Again, referring to the fact that pastors are to be paid. All right, first Corinthians one twelve. And we'll read through verse 17. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am I of Apollos, and I of Saphos or Cephas, and I of Christ. Uh, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were he baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, says Paul, but Crispus and Gaius lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name, and I baptized also the household of Stephanas. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, that's water baptism, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. And then first Peter 1 11 indicates that Peter had preached in the synagogues of the dispersed in northern Asia Minor. And the second epistle hints that he anticipated a sudden and perhaps a violent death. Second Peter 1, 12 through 15, uh, comparing with Jesus' prediction of John 21, 18 through 19. And I'll start by first, read, first reading, first Peter one one, reading through verse 15. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Kadapa, Kadapia, or Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, that ye know them and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I'm in the tabernacle, this tabernacle, his body, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my dis- decease to have these things always in remembrance. So Peter's death and method of death are prophesied, John twenty-one eighteen and 19. And again I'll read, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, Thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Peter's epistles show that he was active in preaching until the time of his death that he had exercised a wide ministry in the Roman world. There is no evidence for the claim of the Catholic Church that he founded the local assembly, assembly at Rome and served it for a quarter of a century until his martyrdom. Though it's my opinion that he did indeed have a ministry in Rome, a very successful ministry, uh, but we will speak a little bit to that later. In a, another study. But now let's see what we can learn from John uh, 6 67 through 71. Had he been living in Rome uh, in between the years AD 55 to 60, it is inconceivable that Paul would have written to the Romans without mentioning him, or that there would have been no allusion in Acts to his presence if he had been in the city when Paul was there. John six seventy and 71 says, Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. And we studied the doctrine of Judas Iscariot earlier in our study of John. So we're going to stop right now and pick up next week, The Lord Willing and the Creek Doesn't Rise. Uh, with verses, uh, uh, that's, well, actually, we're going to look at the teachings about the tabernacle. All right, and we'll have a look at John six sixty seven, reading through verse seventy one. Let us pray, Father. We are grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and study Your Word. Now, I would ask that God, the Holy Spirit. But take that which I have presented, make it real in order that we might grow in your wonderful grace and become more like our Lord and Savior, even Jesus our Christ. For it is in his name I pray. Amen. All right, uh, I want to provide an invitation to anyone who may be listening who is without Christ, without hope, and thus without eternal life. We are all sinners, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So again, if you are an unbeliever, it's time for you to solve your problem, which is going to be uh, at the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, so you don't want to go there. You don't want to believe. You want to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ right now. You know the jailer was frightened, and he said, "How can I get? How can I be saved?" And of course, the answer was, "Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved." You know, Christ came unto his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God. And that's what you need to become right now. So right where you are, whatever you might be doing, simply tell God the Father, I'm believing on God the Son, and you will be saved. And now I'll provide our benediction. Father, take the words which I have taught today, make them real, and uh, guide us and direct us in all that we do.